Today on IFS Talks, we're speaking with Osnat Arbel. Osnat, or Osi as she is affectionately known, grew up in Israel. She has a PhD in counselor education and supervision with an emphasis on marriage and family therapy. Osi is a certified marriage and family therapist and supervisor at the Israeli Association for Marriage and Family Therapy. Osi is a certified IFS therapist and supervisor and a senior lead trainer for the IFS Institute. She's the co-founder and co-director of the Israeli Institute for IFS. She brings her passion and enthusiasm to leading and facilitating level one and level two trainings, workshops, and seminars. Altogether, she's been teaching, training, supervising, and mentoring hundreds of students in Israel and around the world. And Osi has dedicated her professional and personal growth to the IFS model. Osi, thank you so much for being here on IFS Talks. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Hossi, for sitting with us. How is it for you to hear this bio? What parts come up? Mm. <laughs> so the little girl in me says, you go, girl. And um, the me who is not a part, you know, I, I am saying that it really feels good to serve a purpose and to bring my passion and my calling Uh, my inner mission and altogether do something that I love and something that I'm really good at <laughs> and something that the world needs and to serve a cause really feels good. Elsie, will you tell us about your journey to becoming a psychotherapist and specifically marriage and family therapy? Yeah, um, I began my journey um, in the helping profession during my military service. Um, and I served back then, it was almost 37, well, it was 37 years ago, a long time ago. I served as a social work officer, mm -hmm. um, taking care of um, soldiers, officers at a certain um, area. And after the military, I majored in psychology and became a high school counselor. So I worked with uh, junior and senior high school students. And um, since I was always very systemic in my thinking, I kept saying how I need to work with their parents, um, how it's not enough working with them. And so then we relocated to the U.S., Um, and I could uh, really fulfill my dream of getting a master's in marriage and family therapy because in Israel, marriage and family therapy is not a distinct academic discipline. It's part of uh, social work and other um, disciplines. And I really wanted to focus on that because I held such a strong um, systemic view. I think I may say that throughout my life from a very young age. I was very, very systemic, always um, remembering myself actually at a Um, you know, being a little girl, looking at who said what to whom and who did it impact and how did it impact everyone involved and what kind of ripple effects did it have on the entire system. And, uh, and so, so I, I really got to do that. And that was really a blessing. That was a blessing to be able to do that. 
So I did my master's in marriage and family therapy, and then I did my PhD later on in counselor education supervision and in marriage and family therapy. And when did IFS find you, or how did you come across it? Yeah, so throughout my school years, um, in every program, uh, I also did a, actually, I I had a parts party at some point, and I I made a um, commitment and did an MBA as well. So in all the programs that I was in, I was really kind of uh, a junkie for models. Um, And I really resonated with different models um, in a very deep way and kind of um, explored them more than just having um, kind of uh, looking at the model itself and having um, a skill set or a tool set. It was more looking for what I called my way, like a precise way of doing the work that I uh, want to do that will correspond with um, with who I am and with my pers- personal philosophy, um, like on different aspects, um, um, like uh, how would you define good versus evil or free will versus no free will and all that. And it was really like a, a very um, internal journey to arrive at a certain uh, model and to correspond with it and to identify with it and um and so through my own professional development i kind of uh, um went through several models i remember me as a young um counselor um using cbt um and um and then um, later on, I discovered the postmodern approaches and really loved how the non-expert stance um, is used and manifested. And um, then also I focused, then on, I focused on mindfulness and existential humanistic therapy approaches. And then kind of got into um, Jungian and psychodynamic archetypal work while I was facilitating facilitating dream work circles so throughout all those I was kind of um, looking at models that would integrate everything that I value and I had a little bit of this and a little bit of that and I I really wanted to find that model that would integrate the best of everything Um, and then I was introduced to IFS and I got to meet Dick and got to train with him and was thrilled, really thrilled to find the exact container that will hold all the ingredients that were important to me. And once I found IFS, it really became a lens, a suit, like a way of life and a way of being. Um, I really resonated with it in so many ways with the multiplicity, with the systemic um, point of view. It encompassed everything and i <laughs> i really have a deep gratitude towards dick and towards the beauty and the richness he brought to my life mm-hmm. um you sometimes think that um you know kind of think back and look at the people that um are most influential in your life and dick has absolutely been one major person that i can attribute this to and um i'm full of gratitude for that so, so going back to the reaction um, um, towards my bio um, that I've heard you, Tisha, reading, um, 
you know, there's a very old wise voice inside of me that reminds me, you know, if you've seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. So, you know, all that has been made possible, has been made possible with the support of many beautiful people and many great mentors. And I have a gift for finding and connecting with really outstanding mentors um, throughout my life. And it's always seemed to be mutually valuable and it's really, really moving, mm -hmm. really moving. And what is this wisdom about? You know, this is a, like a voice of clarity, of connectedness, some kind of uh, precise knowing. Um, um, I call it truth. Uh, sometimes we're seeking the truth, but that's not it. It is um, being in truth, um, knowing that all that I do does not really strictly belong to me. It is with me, it moves through me, but it's not mine. And it took me some years to shed some layers um, that restricted me from accessing this inner knowing, um, you know, unloading some burdens, trusting this inner knowing. And it really goes back to our model because this is a constraint release model. And once those constraints are unloaded, one gets access to this inner knowing. And I'm pretty certain that this Inner wisdom can be named as a legacy heirloom that I was able to own. So today, I know you have many areas of expertise, Os, but today we are going to dive into the topic of legacy heirlooms. Can you start us off by letting us know what in your eyes or in your experience a legacy heirloom is? Yeah, so... Perhaps I'll take a few moments to distinguish, um, first of all, between burdens and heirlooms. Um, so in terms, of, in terms of burdens, every one that um, probably listens to this podcast and knows IFS knows that there are, you know, that parts are carrying burdens and there are personal burdens and there are legacy burdens. And... Uh, personal burdens are those beliefs, those emotions, sensations, or energies that are result are, that are a result of a traumatic memory that the part holds. And personal burdens can be something like "I'm unworthy," or "I don't deserve," or "I'm unlovable," and they're developed in response to experiences, to traumatic experiences experiences we've endured um, firsthand. Um, but they're not necessarily the memory itself. It is uh, more of the charge that is attached to the memory. So then uh, when we unburden the part from its burdens, the memories stay in the system, but in a more neutral way, like, um, um, you know, less charged. And the more charge there is to the memory, um, the more unburdening will maybe be, be needed uh, to free the part to its original form or to what it was meant to be in the first place, what it was born to be. So, you know, we distinguish 
between memories and burdens and between parts and their burdens. And Dick says something that I love. I love hearing. I love saying that as well. You are not your parts and your parts are not your burdens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He calls it um, one of the laws of inner physics. Um, And legacy burdens are also um, burdens like beliefs, emotions, sensations, or energy charges that um, are not necessarily from our own life experience, but are passed through a certain ancestral line Mm -hmm. Um, from one generation to the next. And um, it can also be passed through cultural um, through a culture at large or through um, a certain subgroup and not necessarily through a lineage. Um, so um, what, what it really means is that certain beliefs come from the experience of someone else. And Cinco um, wrote a chapter on it um, and it, it's, it really beautifully explains and gives a beautiful description of this. Mm-hmm. So what is a legacy heirloom and how do they differentiate from legacy gifts somehow? Yeah, so it, it would be. Legacy heirlooms are the legacy gifts. Um, you know, I would call that a blessing in disguise. Okay. There would be, you know, if, if the leg, legacy burdens are the beliefs, feelings, or sensations, or energies that are passed from one generation to the next, held by our parts, then... Um, and they were not; they didn't originate originate from our own experience. Then the legacy heirlooms are, or, the, or gifts, or assets, okay. right? We, I, uh, you know, we um, called them initially. We called them in our experience when we kind of looked at it in um, our work in Israel. We called them legacy assets, um, and they comprise of, um, we would say, aspects of self or self essences. Um, that are really innate and often inherited from our ancestors, but they're really um, are disguised. They're crusted by the legacy burdens. And they're really a fundamental part of the legacy burden, but um, they are obscured and or they're hidden because our parts are loaded with burdens. Mm-hmm. So we don't really get to to identify them that easily. But they're really important. Well, see, will you share with us how you arrive at the legacy heirlooms when working with clients or within your own system? Yeah. Um, So first of all, I'd like to um, really highlight um, two ways of addressing legacy heirlooms in therapy. Um, One would be through like the regular protocol of work uh, when we work with a part in the system and we come to learn that this part is holding a legacy burden. And I'll explain that in a moment. The other way of addressing legacy heirlooms is actually through using legacy burden work as a trailhead. 
So I can give an example from my own healing Good. Mm-hmm. process um, regarding the first example of just working with the protocol and kind of uh, learning that, oh, this part is holding a legacy burden. My, I want to share that my actually my first unburdening ever was a legacy unburdening. And it happened in my own level one. Um, at the time, I have struggled with uh, the intense need, and I'm kind of emphasizing the word need, um, to go back to Israel. It wasn't a dream. It wasn't a vision. It was like a, a very intense need. And um, at the time, we lived in Colorado for over 10 years then, and our um, original relocation time frame was for two years only. So it, it really, uh, it was time was about time my daughter just entered high school and it felt like um it's now or never mm-hmm. and so the trailhead was needing to return to israel and it was um it wasn't only a calling to go back home it came again with that intensity and um and then i came to learn that this part held really the entire future of the Jewish people, like entire future of the Jewish people um, on its shoulders. Um, And if I will not return to Israel now, and that's what the part said, there won't be a later chance. And that's really how parts see things, see things in black and white. There is no perspective. And then, uh, you know, this part went on saying that my children will probably marry outside of the Jewish religion. And then some some parts were really supportive and gave some statistics about that and how um, how it's very probable that it would happen. And um, by asking the part, uh, where did it get its, its messages from? It was really apparent that this part was holding a legacy of years in the diaspora of the Jewish religion in the diaspora. And that message, um, of course, did not originate from my own life only. It was something that um, was very much a, a, a cultural or, um, uh, yeah, a cultural yes. mm-hmm. burden, I would say. So the next um, very important question was, why does this part feel um, that it needed to carry, that it needs to carry this message or this belief? And, And the answer that this part gave related to a larger responsibility towards the group. Um, So, um, I was asked, is this part willing to let go of the burdens it is carrying? And the answer was no it was really reluctant to do that and in fact um, this is what we encounter in most of our work with um, um, legacy burdens um, um, in Israel so when when the part was asked what is it afraid it would happen if it were to let go of, of its burdens it said that those burdens are a source of connection, yeah. mm-hmm. a source of belonging, a source of community, identity, 
Um, and it d- doesn't want to let go of all those. And it, it is afraid that by letting go of all those burdens, it is um, it will lose its identity. It will be unloyal to my family or to my ethnicity or, and, um, and, and this is really, again, this is really common to hear that from parts that hold legacy burdens, especially what we hear um, in Israel. A lot of the work relates to um, unsafety, to years um, being um, persecuted, um, to the Holocaust. You know, when parts hold the belief that um, legacy burden is the only way to stay connected to someone important or to something important, um, and there is no other way to experience connection, to experience um, relatedness, meaning, uh, but to be carrying this joint burden together, then it is really kind of um, showing how the parts are holding this um i'm gonna i need to do it to do it or else i'll die something that intense that's that type of fear yeah. mm-hmm. um and that's nothing close to perspective you know we we do know that uh, parts um when they're burdened they don't hold perspective so through my um you know my work with my with with clients through the experience that i've had it was apparent that they're um, was something there that was that we named assets or heirlooms or the gifts um, to the legacy that the part holds. So if we could separate the heirlooms from the burdens and invite the client to cherish, to embody, to be one with, to breathe into, to um, own those heirlooms, thrive of them, allow them to blossom, and to let go of their burdens, to unload them, to unburden them, um, those burdens that are associated with the legacy, then the part would be able to transform. And the person can manifest the connection that they always wanted, the love, the belonging, all the aspects of self that they were hoping for and yearning uh, in a whole different way. And that heirloom is part of their repertoire. It's not um, something that they need to make up. It's just something that they um, are invited to discover and to differentiate. And this provided hope to the parts and their reluctance really dissolved easily. And um, the first fear of feeling the emptiness and if they would let go of the legacy burden uh, was replaced by a deep sense of hope and meaning. And that was really a beautiful um, addition and a beautiful depth to the work that was allowed by identifying those heirlooms. So this is an example when you almost stumble upon a legacy burden and kind of get to discover legacy heirloom when the part is reluctant to let go of the burden and you realize that there's a deeper yearning there. And 
Um, you can also address the legacy heirloom before um, inviting the part to invite qualities. Um, so before the unburdening, it would really be important that you would uh, differentiate between the two before the unburdening. Otherwise, at times, many times, unburdening is um, is um, impossible because the part is reluctant to do that. Uh, but also later on, you can invite the client to invite qualities. And those qualities um, many times are helping the client to continue to embody those heirlooms. So, you know, clients would invite uh, courage or connection or confidence um, to be able to continue to um, really blossom on those um, heirlooms. So interesting. So what would be the other way of addressing legacy heirlooms? You mentioned it's through addressing it as a trailhead. Yeah, so there's um, another you know there's another way. Let's say um, a client comes in in to therapy to explore a legacy burden, to explore an issue that has been part of their family or heritage. Or something that is um, very um, uncomfortable to them in a cultural sense or in a in a larger sense, um, and they're struggling with that. And their system is um, characterized by parts that are either holding, right, identifying with some inherited beliefs. Um, those beliefs that are transferred through the ancestral line or through a specific subgroup or culture. Um, and there are parts that are reacting to those beliefs in opposite ways. So that's, that's polarization, right? That's what we know of, um, in IFS, uh, we call polarization. So in my trainings, when I'm leading um, the day that uh, focuses on legacy burdens, I often begin the day even before the meditation with a game I call things my parents said and my parts hurt. Mm. So perhaps you've been uh, experiencing uh, those because we've done some nice uh, uh, PAing uh, together. Yes, we did. This game is actually something to allow that energy of um, those messages to just come th through and people get inspired by it and actually um, resonate or add their own. And so we brainstorm messages um, that are heard by our parts from our parents or from the outside world, um, from very important figures like teachers, rabbis, you know, priests, or, you know, community leaders. And each person selects that message that touches them in the deepest way possible. And then through a guided meditation, that I do in the in those training days, I invite them to find the parts that are playing a certain role related to this message. And mainly, um, we're looking for the parts that are holding a polarized position um, regarding the message uh, in, in both directions.
Bossy, can you give us an example of how this may look? Sure. So I can give you an example from my own system, from my own healing process. Um, so as a young adult, you know, at the age of high school or um, later on, it was after my military service, I was really looking for my professional direction. And um, I, as my parts recall, I heard a very loud and clear message from my parents um, you should be a teacher. Um, it's a good occupation for a mother, for mothers. And my parents grew up in a traditional home or home, you know, it's like a traditional background and they adhere, adhere to traditional gender stereotypes in many areas of their lives. And um, that not, that includes also their, not only their profession, but also out, you know, outside of, uh, professional choice outside of uh, career choice. My father was a military technical officer until he retired. My mother was a teacher until she retired, you know, and they held the beliefs um, about um, what a good mother should uh, be doing or should be working at. But this message was really very strongly rejected by my rebellious parts. So if we take a look at this from an IFS perspective, there are protectors that are being organized around a certain burden of an XL. Uh, and their attempt is to avoid feeling the pain of the burden, right? So there are actually, it's not only that I've had a strong rejection to this message, but I actually had a polarization around this message. So there were two main groups of protectors that were organized around that burdened exile and they were polarized with each other. So one group of parts says, it is really important for me to be a nurturing mother a mother that has the capacity to be with her children and support and foster their development and have free time um, and, um, and be with them in the summer. And this group of parts says your choices and your availability will impact the way you are able to care for your children. Um, so that group of parts is really resonating with that message. And there's another group that says, well, you cannot comply with gender stereotypes and complying with gender stereotype or gender stereotypes is accepting and contributing to the glass ceiling that you're rejecting at your core. And so um, this, mess this uh, group is also saying that, you know, I'm powerful and I can do anything that I want. And nurturing and supporting my children is not only my sole responsibility, it's a mutual responsibility of both parents, father and mother. And that group of parts is denying this message. So we have both group of protectors that are trying to fill a protective strategy around the legacy burden. And the legacy burden is women's priority is to be a mother and the professional choice should take that aspect into account. 
So as you uncover this polarity, O.C., how do you identify the exile underneath? So, yeah, when we look at the exile that is underneath those two groups, we, you know, the, the, the specific exile that was there was holding a message or um, a feeling or a belief that she's not good enough and she's not a good enough mother. And we would, um, or she would not be a good enough mother, and it, and being a good enough mother would depend on her career choice. And um, this is um, very often we will find that um, exiles hold this kind of uh, stretch between um, be concerned with um, holding safety and security and attachment versus wanting to express themselves in authenticity, to find meaning, to find freedom. And it was exactly, you know, that, that um, the case, that exile was um, really um, holding those two yearnings. One would be to have that attachment to my future children and the other one to also find meaning and um, those two group of pr protectors were really arranging themselves around that exile so you know if we take a look at that legacy burden of um, good mothers choose to be teachers that's that's the message as a trailhead and we take a look at you know, this beautiful woman, my mother. And um, if we unburden the intensity around being a good mother, unburden the cultural message that women are the only ones responsible for the safety and nurturance of children. If we unburden the beliefs that being um, in a teaching profession is all about being a mother or opposite being a mother is all about being a teacher. Um, if we unburden the charge around how it is to grow up in a traditional family with gender restriction role, role restricted roles um, in the home and, and outside of the home, we arrive at the legacy heirloom, the self essences, the assets, and those were a big part of that message, but they were obscured. They were ensnared and caught by the protective mechanism of both of my mother's protectors and my own protectors. Because the protectors organize around burdens in an attempt to avoid feeling the pain of the exile. And that's when the heirlooms may be missed. So interesting, Rossi. So what is the essence of that heirloom that you did receive or find? So really it's about the essence of teaching. It's about the essence of mentoring, of guiding others, of connecting with others, um, of allowing them to blossom, to grow. Um, 
And that has been passed to me as well, but it was completely covered with a certain message that was burdened. And that burdened message um, was loaded with fear of me getting hurt, of my mother's own experience of being vulnerable and overstretched while, you know, juggling career and home and raising children by the hardship of um, attempting to break the limits set by gender, by the pain of, you know, adhering to gender restrictions. Um, But the essence of teaching the legacy heirloom of being um, or of, of having the soul of the teacher. Um, when I was able to unblend it from the legacy burdens, um, I was able to honor that, to celebrate that, and to embody that, and to arrive at actually at um, at what what I was um, hoping for. Um, so you know, legacy burdens can be released and heirlooms can be embodied, can be celebrated. And the beauty of that work is that after the polarized parts and the exile underneath are unburdened, there can be a choice in the system. Whereas with legacy burdens, our parts are carrying the energy of burdens of a burden without having the choice. So here, there can be a choice about what part of the message do I want to adopt and what part I chose not to adopt and discharging that the reactivity around it. So we're really sending healing to the collective, to the ancestral line, to the wider circles, to the larger culture. And we know this work is really changing our nervous system and changing our brain. So all in all, this is really a very precious work. So, so, so this is how we would work with um, legacy burdens as trailheads. And this is really a highly significant um, work because um, at times legacy burdens are, um, um, are kind of obscuring mm-hmm. the heirlooms and can prevent a person actually from fulfilling a life calling or drive a person to make decisions based on burdened parts rather than on self. And that's never, you know, a good um, direction. Had I given into this um, legacy burden or gotten a different, um, made a different decision based on the legacy burden, based on some point in this polarization, I wouldn't say that I could, that I have fulfilled my my calling because that would have been just adhering to a burdened um, part rather than um, really getting into the essence of the message, the essence of the asset, the the essence of the heirloom and allowing me to get the real gift that is that was underneath all the fears, all the restrictions, all the burdens. 
Oh, see, this is just such a fascinating topic, and there's there's so much richness here. It it makes me think a lot about how um, different cultures honor the ancestral gifts in different ways, and and I can see how in many cultures, especially in America, we have a lot of disconnection from our ancestral heritage and and these gifts, these heirlooms. You've worked teaching people from all over the world. Um, are you noticing or learning that there are certain cultures that are connected to these gifts as a part of their culture? And this this is something that you're bringing to everyone by yeah. illuminating the heirlooms. But do people are there certain cultures that are doing it well? You, you know, I think we're in a new age, in a new um, era, and we are um, cherishing and coming back and um, um, are willing to and are maybe even able to um, give that respect to those gifts. You know, um, Dick and Darren Young are doing a summit, uh, an heirloom summit very soon in October, in, sorry, in February. And um, this is um, something that will, that of course would, you know, no doubt will have an impact on many, many people. Jung talked about the collective unconscious. Um, we all talk about collective unburdening. And so um, honoring those gifts is maybe more um, related to Eastern and to shamanistic um, um, cultures. But I think we're, we're, you know, with the mindfulness um, um, gift that we're, um, that we can see as a trend with, um, with the many um, ceremonial aspects in therapy, we are definitely giving that uh, a big place or a new place or a renewed place. And that is really a message of hope. Ossi, in what other ways have you been able to embody legacy heirlooms? So, yeah, so as as i continue to unburden to work with my system to con to um do the work that my parts are hoping for are yearning for are seeking i've learned and i continue to learn um to listen to my intuition to my inner wisdom to my inner voice so some of the messages I've heard over the years were actually going against this inner voice, this inner wisdom or inner intuition. And it's not only about our uh, my upbringing. It is, um, it is also all around us. Um, uh, mainstream psychology is looking for evidence-based. That's really important. That's really significant for a model to be accepted that way, to be um, accepted by a larger um, by the institutions, by the by the mainstream. Uh, but as I am looking into my own parts, my own um, um, inner messages, um, as I'm able 
more and more to unblend from parts that are untrusting inner knowing, untrusting inner wisdom, doubting it, being skeptical about it. Um, this inner clarity appears and makes much sense. And through that, I can bring more gifts to the world around me and to my, you know, to my own system. And, um, you know, one of those examples is a very strong teaching and experiential piece I did in level two around self-like parts, which I would love to, to share in the future. Um, it was almost like being channeled or channeling something that was beyond my wisdom, that was beyond me. And I, and, um, and it, it just became very clear. It became very, um, um, structured and, and it, and it, it came out and it is something that is definitely benefiting and can benefit others. So it's more about, um, listening inside and, um, and um, trusting my inner voice, my inner wisdom, and and relaxing, calming down those doubtful, those skeptical parts, those parts that need some kind of proof. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. Well said. So, Ossie, thank you so much for bringing such an interesting topic on legacy burdens and alums and for offering our listeners a meditation on this topic as well. Yeah, thank you. We are running out of time for this episode, but I want to remember a beautiful piece of work you did on legacy burdens in our level two in London. Mm. With this amazing participant from Germany married to an Englishman and living yeah. in the UK. And the problem she wanted to be addressed for this demo was the humiliation she was suffering every November in the UK media during the Remembrance Holiday when she felt all Germans were pictured as Nazis and aggressors. And she went through a beautiful legacy and burdening throughout many generations from her grand-grandfathers to their children and grandchildren. Such a beautiful work you did together on such a difficult and traumatic event, the world wars. Yeah. And it was so amazing that the Jewish therapist was guiding a German client burdened with Nazi ancestors and the World War collective trauma. So I just wanted to share this with you and to say that was one of the most beautiful demos I have ever seen. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That is a gift, actually, to be able to be um, there for those healing processes. And I don't think that it was by coincidence. I believe that yep. mm -hmm. there needed to be um, my involvement um, or, you know, it was a calling for me to be there. And it was really something that has impacted me and gives me hope gives me hope for future legacy burdens to be unburdened and heirlooms to be cherished and celebrated
If listeners would like to find out more about you, OC, or find about your future teachings, how can you be contacted and known? Yeah, thank you. Um, I have a Facebook page called Osnat Arbel, PhD LMFT. <laughs> and I have um, a website called osnatarbel.com that is not as much up and running as I would like it to be, but um, it's very basic, so they can contact me through then, there. Um, they can write me an email, osnat.arbel at gmail.com. And I would like to refer our listeners to a workshop organized by Michael Prestersky um, and Life Architect, focusing on legacy burdens and heirlooms. And it'll take place in February. And we would love uh, to see you there. So again, it was a joy to be here with you and teacher, and I hope we can keep meeting and sharing this model, our work and our lives. Thank you. Thank you, Annabelle. Thank you, O.C. Thank you, Tisha. Thank you.